Hello, welcome to the Voices Heard Lives Empowered podcast brought to you by Power. Today I'm joined by Isabella Rutter. Isabella was the empowerment support worker for the People Who Use Advocacy Group and was very influential in the beginnings of Power. We speak about what life was like for people with learning disabilities and mental ill health in 1996, how and why she became involved with Power and why she is proud of being part of the organisation. I hope you enjoy. Hello Isabella, how are you? Hello Ben, good morning. I'm, I'm not too bad, thank you. Brilliant. You? I'm great, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me, I really appreciate it. Um, I thought we would first start by just sort of getting a bit of your background. So what did you do before Power? I worked at um, Stevenage College of Further Education. I taught English to speakers of other languages, some... Um, First as a volunteer, teaching what was then known as neighbourhood English, one-to-one in people's homes, and then teaching groups of, of women, mostly from the Bangladeshi community, who were me- meeting in local primary schools, health centres and community centres. We provided a creche so that the mums would be able to attend After a while, the college asked me to attend training to become a qualified ESOL, that's English for Speakers of Other Language, teacher. And I completed that and um, then appointed a salaried member of staff at the college as an ESOL tutor organiser. So there was lots to do. Training volunteers for the Neighbourhood English Scheme, teaching English in classes to the people for whom English wasn't their first language. That's amazing, Isabella. I think, in a way, that is almost like advocacy, isn't it? Because you were giving them a well, voice and empowering them to access different services and things, weren't you? Absolutely, Ben. You've hit the nail on the head because I was going to say this work was probably empowerment work and for people to have access to the skills they needed to be able to go to their doctors, to have meetings with the teachers who they're teaching their children, to take part in in the community. Yes, you're absolutely right, Ben. Just before we get into power, could I ask just generally, what was it like for people at that time with learning disabilities or other disabilities? What were their lives like? Their lives weren't good. They were at the mercy of service providers in what they were, what they were able to, to have. It wasn't necessarily how they wanted to live, it was how they had to live. And following being at the college, one of my proudest things at the college was actually setting up a GCSE course on Saturday mornings for young Bangladeshi children to enable them to get a qualification in their parents' mother tongue. These children were fully bilingual, fluent in both English and Saleti, often acting as interpreters for their parents, and none of that was applauded or recognised, you know, and enabled them doing that GCSE and getting really high grades to be able to go on and do make a contribution to their community some of them became teachers, some of them became nurses. It was brilliant. Yeah, that's great. I went from the college to the 
college um, to work for, it was the, the People First movement had started. And I went to work North Hearts People First. They had um, three groups, one in Stevenage, one in Hitchin and one in Letchworth. And the aim of North Hearts People First was to get the, the voice of people with learning difficult disabilities heard in planning the services they used. They weren't even part of their annual reviews often. Often not, and if they were part of their annual reviews, they didn't contribute to it. And we were able at People First to change that by, with the support of advocacy, the workers to be able to go through in the time they needed what they wanted to get out of the, the service that they were being provided with, to be able to go with them to a meeting, to support them in what they wanted to say if necessary, and then to talk about it afterwards and to follow up that these things had actually been taken on board and would be delivered. That was a great success. We were able to get in, get a foot in the door to the community learning disability team meetings. You know, the meetings that, that um, took place with what we called the bosses, planning services for people with learning disabilities. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Is getting in the door. It is. Getting in the door. Getting... It was... Uh, what we used to say then was, it's your job, but it's our lives. And there's a big difference because... No one knows what it's like to live in someone else's shoes. I don't, you don't. And the person who knows is the person who's got that pair of shoes on. How and why did you get involved in starting power? Can I just, before I do that, I just want to give you an example of something that we did in the Stevenage group, which affected everybody, which was of benefit to everybody who had a bus pass. It was that the, the Stevenage group was very, well, we've successfully changed the use of bus passes. People who had a bus pass could only use it, I think it was after 9.30am, before 4pm, and after 6.30pm. And a large number of people group members used to go to a day centre called Leyden House on the industrial estate in Stevenage. And they had to get on a couple of buses to get there, and the day started at nine, and, and they, they weren't able to get there in time. And anyway, cutting a long story short, um, the group invited Stevenage Borough Council to one of their meetings to talk about this. And after lots of discussions and persistence, the council agreed to change that rule so that anybody who had a bus pass were able to use their bus passes around the clock. And this is what I'm saying, is that that's an example of the campaigning work that people with experience of disability and not having access to services to do things spontaneously or when they need to has benefited. That benefited the physically disabled, the elderly, and many others. You know, those who were, had slow mobility and everything. Everybody who had a bus pass certainly in Stevenage, were then able to use their bus pass around the clock. They qualified for a bus pass because of their income status, but they couldn't use it when they needed to. You're completely yeah. right, and I think that's also an example of a decision that's being made about people, but without yeah. actually getting their input, and yeah. therefore it's not really empowering them at all. 
then it was disempowering. It was disempowering. We were also successful in making sure that people with learning disabilities were on the panel for recruiting staff that were going to support them. And that hadn't been done before. An example of that was they were recruiting staff for a new development at Columbus Close in Stevenage. It was for independent living for people with learning disabilities, but they wanted support staff around the clock, you know, someone there around the clock in case of, of need. And they were able to be on that interview panel and, you know, be involved in the choice of who was um, appointed. And that continued for a long time. That's actually really yeah. groundbreaking, really. We were groundbreaking then. It was groundbreaking work. It was very exciting. We came up against some barriers, but we knocked them down. <laughs> because I bet they never had that sort of co-production, that sort of involvement with service users before. And the groups grew and grew and grew. So, you know, it was a, a large number of people, and I think, it's true of anything in society and getting change. The more of you there there are, the more people will listen. Yeah, so just going back onto power, how did so actually start in power, how did you become involved and, and why did you become involved? We knew that um Tim Hertfordshire County Council in the early nineteen nineties were aware that there were a number of groups around the county who were trying to get their voice heard about the services they used. And Harvestshire County Council were very forward-thinking. They were great. And, and with that in mind, they recruited an advocacy development worker for the county, for Hertfordshire. That was Tim, Tim and Filigoff. And Tim's job was to help groups of people who wanted to speak up for, for themselves or for others. So he travelled all over Hertfordshire meeting with different groups of people trying to get their voice heard. And um, because he wanted to make sure that the voice that got heard wasn't his, but theirs, Tim invited a group of different people he had met during his travels to become his steering group. This steering group, it was made up with a person with, with people with different experiences of life, physical disability, mental ill health, learning disability, elderly people, and so on. And it was known as the people who use advocacy group, PUACs. And over a period of time, Tim and the group decided that they should, that the group should employ their own was empowerment support worker to ensure independence from Hertfordshire adult care services and because Tim was employed by them. So they needed money to do that and put together a video to send to Comic Relief and the Platinum Trust for funding to employ an empowerment, advocate, an empowerment support worker for the group, funding for a supervisor for that worker, and most importantly, money for transport for people to get to meetings, for refreshments, at those meetings and for room hire. Now that bid was successful with both Comic Relief and the Platinum Trust providing funding. So the job was advertised and I was honoured then to be appointed following interview <laughs> as that worker. 
to work alongside them in fulfilling their main aim of setting up an advocacy agency. That's what we called it back then, an advocacy agency, not power, for anyone to be able to get advocacy support in getting their voice heard. And I have to also mention here, because she was a star, I was also extremely fortunate to have Angie Lee Foster for my supervision sessions. Angie worked at Sense and did a lot of work with people with sensory disabilities in Cell Barnes Hospital and other places. And so that's how I got the job. Well, I think the common themes that I'm getting from the sort of reasons why you got involved were to make sure it was independent of the local yeah. authorities' input and also Absolutely. making sure it was accessible to all so it wasn't just one group of, of people, it was anybody yes. could access yeah. that service. When I was first employed by the group, this was, I can't think of the word to use it, but our meetings were held at Selborne's Hospital. That was a long-stay hospital. I think it had been built in the 1980s, in the middle of nowhere then. And that's where Tim was based, having moved a couple of times from other places. And I always remember driving onto the Selborne site, going into the mission room there, which also included a padded cell, there were communal showers off, off it and everything. And it was very levelling and thought-provoking, thinking about the lives people had led there and were still living, out of sight, out of mind. There were, I don't know, there was Leavesden, Longstay Hospital, Cell Barnes, there was Knapsbury and Harperbury. However, at the same time, you know, it was a, big, a very big motivator and inspirational for the work the group were doing. And I suppose it really brings it, it sort of really puts it into context, doesn't it, that padded cell? It does. Well, we had lots of padded cells for ourselves. It's worth mentioning that lots of different funded groups were also set up at that time. There was people's lives, for people being resettled into the community from Longstay Hospitals based in St Albans. There was Speaking Up based in East Hearts for people with learning disabilities. There was Speaking Out based in North Hearts, Choices in East Hearts and New Connection based in West Hearts. And those three services were for people who had experience of mental health. And there was Advocates on Tap which was based in St Albans at Tim's office. It was a Hertfordshire-wide crisis advocacy service for people with learning disabilities. And, and so all these groups joined the established groups that were already in existence around the county. And, and so the, the self-advocacy advocacy movement grew and grew and grew in Hertfordshire. I mean, Arthur Bates... He was um, originally a member of Phalanx, which was a group of people with disabilities trying to get their voice heard. He founded what was known as REACT for people with physical disabilities. There was, um, well, there was North Hearts People First. We were one of the main ones. There was a, a group of people in Selborne's Hospital 
who were speaking up for themselves. There were some people in Broxbourne. There was the Skills for Life group in, in Bishop Stortford. Was the ambition to sort of bring them all together under power? Absolutely. Yeah. I can come to that with what the work we did, if you want to hear about it. Yes, please. Time. Yes. Yeah. And there were many countywide conferences held, two of which come to mind, which was No More Closed Doors and Loud and Clear. No More Closed Doors. Richard Malin, man with learning disabilities, was um, a big mover in that. And um, it was held at County Hall. And it was about opening doors and letting people in, you know, to be part of the service planning for the services they use. And I know Richard gave a fantastic speech, which was then, he was then approached and it was printed in lots of, um, lots and lots of um, books and journals. And I can't remember, Tim would probably know, he would be able to talk more about that. We also had the Loud and Clear conference, um, which we held at Hampshire University, where all the different all the different groups that were in place came together inviting others to come to join them and um, I can remember Carol Warren speaking at that. Carol lived in West Hearts. She was a member of the Puags and she gave a she talked about getting her own key. She had lived in Cell Barnes and from a young person to adult life and she stood up and talked about and held up her key for her own flat where she lived independently. Wow. It, it, it was just so, it was just so moving that the lives that people had, you know, had led, that the changes that were happening, it was, it was fantastic then, fantastic. And Carol Warren, I'd just like to say, I know she was very instrumental in the beginning of power and sadly she she's was. not with us. No, she died. Can't thanks to Carol Warren. Yeah. Oh, big thanks. One of um, the second office that Power had, which was, it was a disused shop in Stevenage in Lonsdale Road, and we named it Carol Warren House in her memory. But that, yeah, that sounds very inspirational, her holding up her key. We can pick up our keys, we don't think about it. But Carol, every time she picked up that key, it was, it meant everything to her. It was her key for her home, her own key, where she would go in and out whenever she wanted and wherever she wanted. And essentially, it's a symbol, isn't it? It's a symbol it of is. empowerment. So, the, you know, the Pruads have been involved in all of that. And um, as well as doing all of that, they were planning the way forward with their aim of setting up the advocacy agency. So they spent it. I can remember the day we spent um, working on a name for the charity. Lots of ideas were talked about, and Stephen wanted it to be called Power, P O W E R. But some of the others thought that sounded like an electricity supplier. So, but then Eureka, Angie came up with People of Hearts Want Equal Rights. P O little I don't know why little H. Well, I do know why little H. P O little H W E R, which said power but didn't mean electricity. And um, so 
so that's what it that's how the name evolved um charities at that time working on behalf of people with disabilities represented one particular particular disability and rarely if ever had people with that particular disability had people with that particular disability on their board of trustees and the charity the puags wanted to form was unique and absolutely unique they wanted a charity that could be used by all kinds of people with disabilities or those who face social exclusion and weren't being heard and most importantly one which would have a board of trustees with personal experience of living with a disability or being socially excluded so they then put together what they decided the board of trustees would always have as a majority on their board there will be two seats for a person with a physical disability there will be two seats for a person who had experience of mental ill health there will be two seats for a person with a learning disability a person with hearing impairment a person with visual impairment a community elder a person qualified in management a person qualified in law a person qualified in accounting and a, and two other places they were very fortunate because they had the two people with physical disabilities Arthur Bate and Judith Smart they had a person who had experience of mental ill health that was Beryl Lovejoy but she didn't actually become a trustee but that was then taken up by Glyn Corey they had two people with learning disabilities Richard Maylin and Stephen Rathbone they had a person with hearing impairment Linda Bryan who um worked for Sense at Jenny Warren House in Stevenage the person with visual impairment was vacant for a while they had a community elder Iris Lusak she was an elder in the Caribbean community in Watford they had a person qualified in management Paul Smith who was chair of the disability not chair manager of the disability information service for Hertfordshire it was that was also based at Selbarns and Paul was a long time supporter of the Puags and a wheelchair user because of a spinal injury acquired as a young man when he had a merge bike accident we also had a person qualified in law Gary Blaker QC who was a volunteer advocate with the advocacy development project and luckily got a person qualified in in accounting Sue Catchamol a friend of Tim's they had everything they needed so armed with those ideas very excited and a little nervous off we went to London to meet with the charity commission the group was made very very welcome very welcome indeed and um they told the charity commission officer i can't remember his name who he meant the history of how they'd come together what they'd been doing and what they now wanted to do uh following lots of questions and answers from both sides they were given well they were given the thumbs up the charity commission couldn't have been more supported we even received our charity number before we launched the charity it was fantastic everyone was absolutely over the moon then it was a day of rejoicing and dancing and i think we had a drink afterwards
Well, it must have been just so satisfying that all the hard work you've done and the build-up yeah. to it, that you were finally there as a registered charity. Well, yeah, I mean, there was, there was still a lot of work to do. Sure, no. Because um, work then began to get all the different advocacy groups in Hertfordshire on board with the idea of coming together as a county-wide advocacy agency. So the PUAGs visited the self-advocacy and advocacy groups across the county and gave presentations on this idea. Well, some jumped on board immediately. Others were hesitant. Why were they hesitant? Can you remember? They were hesitant. However, those hesitant groups came on board immediately after Power was launched in 1996. The group was in, in, in demand for lots of things, adult care services, asked them to work with them on information they produced for people who use services, and meetings were held regularly on this at County Hall. The group were very firm, was very firm with their suggestions. Written information had to be produced in large print, simple language, and no use of acronyms unless they were in full first. Also, that they had to be available available on tape for non-readers. A couple of the PUAGs, a few people from North Hearts People First, and a couple of people from People's Lives, worked with Tudor Jones at Hertfordshire County Council um, to put together a training programme to recruit people with disabilities to become residential and care home volunteer inspectors. So in those days, Hertfordshire County Council delivered all care and residential home services across the county. And Tudor, who was head of inspectorate at County Hall, was very keen to recruit volunteer inspectors from various backgrounds to visit these homes, as he strongly believed residents would be more open, you know, to, to talk honestly and with confidence about the care they were receiving with people who were living with the same experiences as them. Improvements could then be made if needed, which had come, well, straight from the horse's mouth. And, and that training went ahead, and lots of volunteers and inspectors signed up. But I would like to say it's worth mentioning that Judith had already been doing this for a long time off her own bat, visiting a residential home for people with cerebral palsy that was close to where she lived in her own flat in Harkenden. Arthur had also been doing it, visiting people with a physical disability. So when Power was launched, 1996, it had only one employee, me, and the trustees wanted a chief executive. Now there was a chap called Dave Morris, a man with physical disabilities. He led a charity at that time which supported people to get money from the National Independent Living Fund. It was a huge pot of money then, but very hard to get. He and his team enabled people who use services to get money from that fund to employ their own personal support so they could live the life they wanted to live, not the life they were being made to live. Which again is groundbreaking, isn't it? Because that's way before direct payments Dave was a thing. Amazing. Dave had a professional career working for I don't know how many years with two of his own 
personal support workers coming with him, driving his car for him so that he could work. And that happened to other people because of Dave's work. And anyway, you know, Dave applied after seeing the advert for the post of Chief Executive with Power and along with others, was interviewed for the job by Judith, Arthur, Richard and Stephen. And Tim was there and I was there. And, and Dave got the job. So Power then had, which they'd asked for, funding from Hertfordshire Adult Care Services, no strings attached, as well as their funding from Comic Relief and the Platinum Trust, and its own bank account with Judith and Arthur as signatories. That's another achievement then, because the bank agreed, after meeting with us, Lord's Bank in St Albans, that Arthur could sign cheques making a cross. His physical disability make it, impo- it made it impossible for him to write, and that Judith could have a rubber stamp made of her signature for off days when she wasn't physically able to sign. They had their own empowerment support worker. They had their chief executive and people with disabilities were in full control. Well, Power was still meeting in St Albans, now at the business centre. A sub-arms had closed then, so Dave made it a priority to find permanent accommodation for us. We took on and refurbished, with the help of Stevenage Borough Council, a large unit in Stevenage. That was at the Glebe in um, of Chelsway in Stevenage. And then Dave, along with members of the trustees, advertised, interviewed and recruited salaried advocacy workers for power. Most of these came from the groups that were already established but who were doing it on a voluntary basis. And then a couple of new advocacy workers. I think there were probably about 12 at that time. And, but that grew, and then with Dave's support, the trustees applied successfully for more funding from Hertfordshire County Council so that Power could employ a man with learning difficulties for a project called, we called it Speaking Up at County Hall. That was David James. Dave and David, they worked together on various issues concerning people with learning disabilities in the county, and then in um, 2003 were chosen and invited to Brussels to speak at the European Assembly in their year of the EU celebration of disabled people. That's amazing. That's such an achievement. I don't know how they heard about us. I just don't know. But people did hear about us. I remember a group of Russian delegates coming to talk to us about how we had, how the group had achieved what they had. And, And so... Dave and David worked closely on preparing for this and travelled together to Brussels where David gave the presentation on behalf of power. And as you said, another fantastic achievement. Adult care services approached power to ask if they would set up or take on setting up the personal assistance support service, PASS. It was the time when direct payments were being rolled out as an option for people who use services. Well, this was right up their street. So, of course, the answer was yes. And Dave and the trustees set about recruiting two advocates to support people who use services, who wanted to get direct payments from social services to 
to employ their own support staff instead of it being delivered by the county. And although part of power, it had its own steering group, chaired by Owen Parry. He was a man with physical disabilities. He had the most amazing wheelchair, which would um, rise up in the air so he could get to the top drawer of a four-drawed filing cabinet and go to any height he wanted. I was always fascinated by it. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, (laughs) um, Owen stood down as a trustee then. He was a trustee with power in case of any conflict of interest. It was exciting times. It was groundbreaking work. They were blazing a trail and many people came to visit us. I can't remember who all of them were. It was, you know, from right across the country, Ben. Yeah, it seems like you were setting a trend which people would follow to empower, you know, the marginalised groups. I'm very, very proud that Power were delivering doing independent mental capacity advocacy long before that type of advocacy was funded. It's known as IMCA, isn't it? We have IMCA advocates. Yeah. We were doing an independent advocacy for people using health services, which then started to be funded, called ICAS. So I think because of that, those extra things which changed within government, national, you know, in the National Health Services, that was one of the reasons that power grew and were able to apply and get that funding. Because you were already really. doing it before. Yeah, we'd already been doing that on a voluntary basis. And, you know, then where advocates were actually paid. And that happened when we recruited Fiona Clark. She thought she was coming to be chief executive of a, a charity in Hertfordshire. And when she arrived, well, she had to hit the ground running because we had gained so much money to deliver other services, which were all over the place, you know, up in Birmingham, um, in Worcester, in London, in Brighton. I think it's great, Isabella, that we did expand because if you were doing such a good job in Hertfordshire, then there's plenty of other people that needed support in other areas. Absolutely, absolutely. It was exhilarating. I mean, I don't know. My husband used to say, if we chopped your head off, it'd be like a stick of rock. You'd have power written all the way through you. I mean, I just couldn't. I was just so honoured to be part of that. And it was amazing. What makes you most proud of power? I'm very, 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 very proud of the people who use advocacy group who started all this. I'm very, very proud to have worked with Judith, who... Her absolute determination, I was in awe of her determination and had so much respect for her. The amount of energy she had to use and the determination Judith has to make sure she has been heard. You know, she she has been understood. She will say it again as many times as it's needed to be understood because she knows it takes time for people to get used to her speech patterns and she couldn't bear people to pretend that they'd understood her. It's, um, it's a hard thing to keep saying, Can you say, could you say that? Sorry, I didn't get that, Judith. Could you say it again? Or, sorry, I didn't get that, Alan. Could you say it again? Because you don't want people to feel... You don't want it... Is it belittling? I don't know what the right word is then, but Judith would always... And Arthur... He worked so hard from a very, very young age at 
getting not only his voice heard, but other people's voice heard, supporting anyone to get their voice heard. He supported North Hearts people first. And I know when, um, when we were inducting the, the induction course for staff joining power, Arthur had a slot in that induction, and he and I put together a question and answer format for that. And Arthur, you know, I would ask him questions, and he would say about how he got started in advocacy. And it was when he was very, very young, and he lived at a, in a home at that time, um, a school rather, and he had a horrible, what they were called, housemaster, who would bullied them, didn't listen to them, took their wheelchairs away from them. And, you know, they couldn't walk. I mean, Arthur would crawl. And they did. One day, they got together and crawled, Ben, to the headmaster's office to tell him about this, their housemaster, and how he was treating them. The headmaster had no idea. And they were successful. That man was removed and they got a new headmaster. That was, you know, that was self-advocacy, working with determination, without support, Arthur leading that. That is absolutely horrific. It was horrific. So many people, Ben, had their wheelchairs taken away from them. So many people didn't have a choice about what sandwich they were getting for their lunch. They were just given a sandwich. They weren't told, would you like egg mayonnaise, ham, cheese, I don't know, you know, and so on. They were just given it. I mean, many of the people who were living in long-stays institutions became institutionalised, and so did the staff. And breaking down that, breaking that, you know, if someone smoked, they had to go and ask if they could have one of their cigarettes. No, you can't. I'm busy at the moment, you know, and it's, well, for me, it's heartbreaking because I believe that everyone can live a full life if they get the right support to live the life they want to to lead. And my aim with power, with people first, was to do myself out of a job that it wouldn't be needed, that society would change, that people would get what they needed to live independently. And one day that will happen then. I completely agree. Well, thank you, Isabella. That was amazing. I really appreciate you talking with us. And I just want to thank you for your contribution to power. 